9, 12, 10, 28, 2, 23. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is uh, Thursday afternoon when we're recording this, and I am David Rothkopf, your host in New York City. Also, not too far from New York City, we have my regular co-host at this time of the week, Ryan Goodman of uh, uh, Just Security and NYU Law School. Hi, Ryan. Hi, David. And we're very lucky to have back our friend, the presumptive uh, Democratic nominee for the uh, Westchester District Attorney race, um, Mimi Roca. Hi, Mimi. How are you? Hi. Good. Thanks for having me. You, you, you seem to have done extremely well in this race. Are you just taking a deep breath uh, before you dive in for the fall? What does it look like? Yes, definitely taking a breath. Um, you know, right now uh, we have a huge lead in in-person and early voting uh, all from all across the county. I think that's the part I'm, I'm most proud of. It's not just that we're winning, but we literally appear to be winning from every corner of the county, which I think speaks to a very broad coalition. And we're waiting for the many absentee ballots to be counted as they should. But uh and, and feeling uh, good about you know our likelihood of, of going into a race against the Republican in November, feeling very good about the chances there. And so, you know, really just starting, have been thinking all along, but even more so about the things I'm excited to, to do when I get there in January. The, what's the ratio of Democrats to Republicans in Westchester? It's, I think, two to one or three. I, I don't remember the exact ratio, but they're, they're, it, is, it will be a much less competitive race <laughs> than I just had uh, for the Democratic primary. Uh, there is a Republican uh, who's announced, Bruce Fendish, who's a criminal defense attorney. He ran last time against um, Mr. Scarpino. Um, you know, very, very good guy, um, good defense attorney, um, but he will, uh, he will be... I believe my opponent. Um, we, we can see that your life has returned to normal. We can hear a little <laughs> bit of the, the sounds of Working normal life. <laughs> the sounds of normal life in the background. Ryan, the dog, do you have anything kids. you, you, you want to say or ask about the campaign before we dive in? Yeah, I guess in uh, one sense, it's just like, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the election part being over so that I can get to doing the actual work of the office. Um, you know, even just now, yesterday and today, I was on with some union groups um, talking about, you know, cases that are important to them. Mm. And the prosecutor and me, you know, just that's what gets me excited, you know, is, is talking about the kind of, you know, all right, let's do this training and these investigations and set this up. And there's just so many good things to be done. Um, which is not often how people speak about a prosecutor's office, but you know there there's a lot of bad things that happen. Obviously, we're talking about people's lives and crime, and but there's also a lot of a lot of good that can be done that can make people's lives better. And uh, just getting back to the work of of, of a reformed prosecutor. <laughs> well, to, you know, today at following the Supreme Court decisions, which we should turn to momentarily, 
Um, I, I did my due diligence and I went and I looked and I, first of all, I was relieved uh, to see that there were no parts of Westchester that were still owned by uh, virtue of Indian treaties. And so you did not lose the jurisdiction over half the state as they apparently did in, in, in Oklahoma. Um, but the Trump Organization does own some properties in Westchester. So, you know, there's jurisdiction there. I, I don't know if that's crossed your mind, but it, uh, I did not. <laughs> I, did I mean, that. right, today's decision said basically that, uh, you know, he's not above the law um, right. and certainly would not be as a, uh, as a private citizen. And, you know, of course, prosecutors should never telegraph cases, but, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously... We'll well, it does. It, do, it does underscore the importance of uh, district attorneys, um, of state officials, uh, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in a situation like the one we're in, where the uh, Department of Justice seems to be working as the private law firm of the president. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously, um, you know, I, I came from a world where the Department of Justice was supposed to be the place above politics more than other um, offices in the justice system. And that is, you know, it's just everything's turned on its head now. I mean, it's actually the opposite now. And so we, we look more to uh, independent DAs and attorneys general to, to fill those gaps, um, which is happening. And also just to, I think, restore the idea of integrity and faith in institutions again. I mean, we're, that, and that's not just in the justice system, but everywhere. I mean, we, we can't look to the Senate for that. We can't look to the Department of Justice for that. So um, we're going to have to look elsewhere. So, so that's, um, and, and there are a lot of good local prosecutors out there who, who I think are, are trying to do that. And I so, hope to be among them. Well, looks looks like you're well on the way. Ryan, let me ask you first what your reactions were to um, the particularly the Supreme Court cases having to do with the president's tax records. Uh, and then maybe you can pose a question to Mimi as the next step after that. Sure. I mean, I, I guess the way some people were putting it very quickly after digesting the opinions is the way I thought about it, too, which is like... Uh, in a certain sense, uh, bad for the presidency, good for the president. Um, but maybe, you know, bad for the presidency, good for the rule of law and checks and balances, um, good for the president. In the sense that it really was, as we were just using it a little bit as a segue, as we are talking about some of the institutions that still might provide legitimacy, it, there was a sense in which the court's opinion reaffirmed the legitimacy of the court because it did in fact say that the president is not above the law, um, that uh, he or she must be subject to uh, congressional oversight and respond to uh, subpoenas, legitimate subpoenas, and he or she must um, turn over their documents when a a state-level prosecutor needs them for a criminal case. Um, So I think that was a very powerful moment, um, and it's great that these decisions are not 5-4, but larger majorities for that purpose. At the same time, everything uh, in terms of the way in which litigation works in our country favors this particular president because he can probably run out the clock. Um, Certainly on the congressional oversight, it's just going to be a whole new battle because the court says, well, now here's our five-part, multi-part, five-part test for when subpoenas have to be respected. So that's going to be 
litigated uh, heavily and probably will not materialize before November 3rd. So the American public will not see his financial documents that way. And then the other one is uh, with Cy Vance's prosecution. This is the one I'd it's not my area of expertise, it's much more Mimi's. I'd love to hear what Mimi has to say about it. Is what is the timetable that one could expect to materialize there? Uh, so some are saying, hey, wait a minute, don't give it up in the sense of this is not over. It still could materialize by November 3rd because we've had uh, moments in which there's such significant public interest in the information, like the Nixon subpoena cases, like the Bush v. Gore, in terms of the public getting to know who um, has won the presidential election, those were decided very quickly, three months in one instance, one month in the other instance. So wait a minute, the court has in fact opened up what an expedited channel will look like with its test for when subpoenas are permissible. So that's still an option. So I guess that's one big question I have. And with Mimi's background and experience, uh, it'd be great to hear what you think about that particular question or the broader question of your reaction to the cases. Yeah, just on the broader question first, I mean, I thought it was so interesting as soon as the opinion decisions came down, you know, literally there was this split screen of reaction. It was, it was either Trump uh, is, um, uh, you know, Trump is not required to turn over tax returns, says Supreme Court, because that's true. As of today, he's not, right? I mean, that's, that was sort of, I think that was the CNN uh, banner. Um, but then on MSNBC and, you know, and then there was equal mirroring on Twitter. It was, you know, court rules that president is not above the law and said, you know, so it just depended whether how people were viewing it. Literally a glass half full, glass half empty. I, I overall um, was quite pleased with the decision. I mean, maybe my standards are just so low at this point that, you know, I think it would have been wrong and kind of, quote, crazy, you know, to use the legal term, for them to, to come, have any other kind of ruling. But nothing surprises me anymore. And so the fact that Supreme Court upholds the rule of law and says the president is not above the 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 law and yes, Congress can have oversight, but with limitations. And we're sending these back to the lower courts to figure out what all that means and what the scope of it can be. That's perfectly reasonable. And 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 the fact that it was uh, such a majority, I you know, and a bipartisan. I mean, I hate to call judges, you know, ascribe them to political parties, but um, is is just we haven't you know that that's something that is far and few between these days. So as you say, I think does uphold the legitimacy of the court makes me feel like we're at least still kind of, you know, uh, holding on to this separation of powers and democracy. Um, however, you know, uh, weekly we may be holding on to it. We are, because if this had gone any other way, you know, wouldn't have said that. So people who were looking for it to be a political solution, meaning, Trump's tax returns out before November, and now all these people aren't going to vote for him who would have otherwise. I, I think that was just a mistaken place to start, in part because is there anything that could come out in these tax returns that would change the mind of Trump voters? Absolutely mm-hmm. not, right? I mean, none of us really think that. So I don't even know that it is such a political win or not. It just means it's something we're going to keep talking about. We all know he's hiding. I mean, it certainly looks like he's hiding things, but he desperately doesn't want to come out. And, you know, people just assume there's something bad in there at this point. The question is how bad, what bad. I, I don't know that that's going to change 
um, the election one way or the other. Um, in terms of your question, though, I mean, for the for the Manhattan DA, you know, basically, look, if, if a DA issues a subpoena, it's a very broad standard. I mean, you can issue a subpoena for materials that are reasonably related to the investigation. Um, and, and basically what the court said is that the Trump is subject to that standard, just like everybody else. Do people challenge subpoenas? Yeah, sometimes, but not often because they're not often successful. Corporations will challenge subpoenas on um, being overbroad on the scope, right? And so that's the most likely, if I were going to uh, you know, say that there was any likelihood of success for Trump in challenging the subpoena, it would be to narrow the scope of the subpoena. But I don't think it has to be very broad for the DA to be able to get the information that it needs. And I also don't even think that that would be necessarily a successful challenge here because it's not like they are um, asking for, you know, sort of random materials. I mean, they're asking for, as I understand it, the tax returns and the underlying documents. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. I don't know how much more narrow it, it could get. Um, in terms of timing, you know, it's, it's I mean, the, the maybe not satisfying part of this is that the DA getting the materials does not mean that any of us will, will see it. Uh, or hear about it, unless the DA brings charges that make the sort of underlying findings public, which right now would not be, you know, presumably against Trump, although I guess could be, but could be against other people in his circle or the Trump organization. So if, if they can do that quickly, then, you know, we may learn something without actually necessarily seeing the actual underlying documents. But the courts, you know, there will be this challenge in the courts. It, it is not something that should drag out, though. I mean, it's a very straightforward subpoena and challenge about, about scope, I would imagine. You know, that was very helpful to me because I was very conflicted when I um, read um, these decisions and the analyses and watched that kind of split screen that you're talking about. And the most helpful part of it to me was was your point about there's almost nothing that could be revealed that will change the minds of of voters, right? And we've already had the New York Times do a massive analysis of Trump family tax fraud over decades. So if that's the kind of thing that concerned you, you know where you come out. We've already had the uh, state of New York go after the Trump uh, uh, foundation. And if that's the kind of thing that concerned you, then, you know, et cetera. And we've already seen that the president of the United States has, from the beginning of his presidency, through now for three and a half years, month in and month out, deferred to Russian national interests over U.S. national interests. And regardless of the reason that he's doing that, that will concern you if it concerns you and not if it doesn't. So I, I see all of that. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know, it, it, it was just a trifle, you know, galling to listen to Jay Sekulow say, you know, this is a good decision and read accounts um, where people said, look, their strategy is just to play out the clock and get it passed and, and, and that it's that possible. It's, 
you know, it's possible for a guy with a lot of money and a lot of lawyers to just push things down into the future. And, and, and you know, in, in this case, um, you end up with, you know, for them, um, that, you know, d- justice delayed is, is just fine. It's, it's the outcome. Um, and so let me turn to Mimi first, but then to Ryan. What's, what's your reaction to that? Or am I just being too short-sighted? Because there was this nine-to-nothing statement about that there is no absolute immunity that sort of blew up this Bill Barr thing. That may seem in the long run a bigger deal. Am I missing the forest for the political trees here or something? No, I mean, I, I think it, it can all be true, right? I mean, I, I, the, the way I was thinking about it is, okay, what if they hadn't ruled that? What if they had said, yeah, there is this thing of absolute immunity and, you know, maybe it's not quite as absolute as Bill Barr says, but but here are the, I mean, that was in my mind and for the, like an actual possibility, right? Um, that there could eke out, you, mean, a, you know. The, the restoration of the monarchy. Yeah. I mean, because we're, we're just, and, and again, not because I think that that is what the law is, but because things keep happening that none of us thought could ever happen before. And so, so I'm hugely relieved. And if, God forbid, Trump is president for another four years, this decision will at least stand um, as one remaining guardrail. Um, but your point, I think, is is a really good one. It's just, I don't think it should be focused just on the Supreme Court, right? So people are saying, oh, see, the Supreme Court's letting him get away with it, letting him delay. It's actually a whole host of systematic failures that have happened since, frankly, he got elected, maybe even before, that have led to this point where he can now, with his you know, lawyers, army of lawyers, just kind of keep putting things off. So it's, it's, it's the bigger question is how do we, if we're going to ever prevent this from happening again, what, what are all, it's not one failure. It's not just the Supreme Court decisions, you know, saying, okay, we go back to the lower courts. It's why wasn't he required, whether it be by law or by the press or by Congress or by protests in the street, I mean, whatever mechanism to turn over his tax returns when he was supposed to, like every single other president, right? And I know I'm speaking, you know, to the choir here, but that it's it's this still lingering, like, how did he get away with that? How did we get to this point? And how are we going to prevent that from happening again, right? Joe Biden's going to, but what other candidate might say no? And, and how are we going to prevent that? So, so I think we have to look at it as, I think you're right. I, I just don't ascribe this, particular Supreme Court decision or decisions to being um, the sort of like failure here. I actually think it did what it could have done in these circumstances, but I think there's just been this whole long systematic, you know, mostly from Congress, from Senate, right? Republican Senate who did not um, hold him accountable in any single way. And what we're all still yearning for is accountability, right? We know that there's really likely something in those tax returns that he's trying to hide. So when does he get held accountable for that? What's your take, Ryan? Um, so I agree with the idea that the system is highly biased in favor of, you know, parties that have greater resources and with those resources, all they need to do is run out the clock in, in many different instances um, and just litigate the questions, then relitigate 
the smaller questions to do that. That's a tactic and it's being used to subvert the democratic process, checks and balances and the rest of it. So I think, and I think it's, I totally agree with, I mean, you can't isolate it to this is because this is the way that court's opinion is written. It's, there's so many parts of the system, both the formal institutional part and our political culture and things like that. Um, so I agree. I guess uh, two ideas on the other side of the ledger are one that I did think one benefit of today's decisions is that for the future, what it means about the presidency is that the next president, whoever they might be, um, Joe Biden or, or uh, Trump in a second term, and a new issue pops up that there's subpoenas and criminal investigations, they can't run all to the, all the way to the Supreme court back down and then try to go running back up to stop that. It was like, here's the decision. There's no such thing as this absolute immunity. You can't litigate that question. That's done. And it's Congress's role with this pretty straightforward five part test. And it's subpoenas with this pretty traditional test on subpoenas, plus some constitutional questions. At least we've uh, robbed those kinds of powerful interests, regardless of the president, uh, from trying to do that playbook again in that sense. I think that's one positive. And I guess the second one is, um, I do think that the voters have to decide, do they want a president in his second term to be subject to criminal investigation? Because today's decision says he is not immune. They can go forward with this part of the criminal procedure. He's highly likely to be prosecuted or indicted in a second term. And if the public doesn't like presidents who might be unhealthy because they're not going to be healthy in that second term, he doesn't have good health in terms of his legal liability. If they're worried about maybe Joe Biden has a specter of a criminal investigation, that's what the Trump people want you to believe. It's because they think that that will be chaotic for a president to be under a um, legitimate criminal investigation in this case by the, by New York authorities. So I think that's, it does enter at some sense into the calculation for members of the public that my understanding is some of them who even the ones who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump care about this level of dysfunctionality. And here's a um, important signpost for them that the dysfunctionality is going to get much worse in a Trump second term, thanks to the decision by the court saying he does have to subject himself to congressional oversight and criminal uh, process. Although I do think that it was a kind of a, a curiosity, and I think it was revealing of, of how big a reach the Trump lawyers were going for, that I, I, I think if I read it properly in the, in the New York case, they argued that pro, the prosecution of the president would not be too big a distraction for him but fulfilling this subpoena would be too big a distraction for him. Um, and I, I thought that was kind of a little, little, little bit strange. But let's, let's move on to the point that you just brought up. Um, uh, Mimi on MSNBC, I think, uh, Neil Katyal, who was the acting solicitor general and who's become a well-known commentator on these things, said that he expected that Vance would be able to move very quickly uh, and that perhaps before the election, you might actually see an indictment. Without getting into the business of deciding whether it's a week before the election or three weeks after, a month before, a month after, where does this go for Vance? Now, you know, I mean, the, the, you, know you, you said there is an issue about the scope of the subpoena 
There may be some back and forth. How long does that take? And then where does he take it from here? Given, by the way, I, I, he is a kind of a mixed record on these things. Um, he's, he's cut a lot of slack to the Trump family at certain points and now seems to be presenting himself as a champion of not doing that. Yeah, there, there, there has been cases in the past where it was perceived that he gave favorable treatment uh, to members of the Trump family, whether he did or not. You know, and this is something that I've thought a lot about as someone running for DA. Obviously, it matters whether DAs are giving favorable treatment, but it also matters what the perception is almost as much because people aren't going to trust your decisions. It's one of the reasons that I'm not taking campaign donations from um, defense attorneys who have cases before me in the, in the office uh, because that was one of the accusations against Cy Vance with Harvey Weinstein, for example. Um, so, but, and I just want to be clear, I'm not saying there is an issue with the scope of the subpoena. I'm saying if I had to think of like a defense attorney, you know, for Trump and Trump organization right now, what possible challenge I could try to even conceivably bring that is the most likely one they could muster. But I, I, I don't think it's going to have a lot of merit. But they're going to do merit. it, right? I mean, the, the way the Trump attorneys, have been, they're not going to go, oh, fine. Yeah, no, no. absolutely Here, not. Here's the, right. Right. Which, in the real world, people who are paying lawyers uh, and care about legal bills and see the writing on the wall would say, and this is to your point, you know, would say, all right, you know, we've lost, let's negotiate something because, you know, we can't keep paying this and dragging this out. I mean, most people make litigation decisions in part based on that. You know, Trump, I guess, I don't know where the money comes from exactly, but, you know, he, he's, to him, it's an investment worth making to keep dragging this out. Not necessarily because they think they'll win, as you say, but because they don't want to turn it over now. Um, you know, part of how quickly the DA can act depends on at what point in the investigation did they subpoena these. I mean, most prosecutors wait to do a subpoena like this once sort of a large part of their investigation is kind of done because it, it's, it's putting everything out there. It's very overt. Mm. Um, on the other hand, this kind of investigation, you need the documents, you know, I mean, these are, these are real, this isn't just a formality, like having the tax returns and having the documents is, is going to be essential evidence in any kind of prosecution here. If there is one, they clearly, we know they've been talking to Michael Cohen, Michael Cohen testified openly that, you know, he, they were inflating, well, that they were, yeah, inflating property values is, is basically what he said. Um, and I'm sure other things. And, and so, you know, but they can't just rely on Michael Cohen. I mean, they absolutely need to look at the documents. So I think it kind of depends how much else they've done already. Is, is getting these documents um, something that, you know, they, they will then need to spend a good amount of time digging into these documents before charges can be brought, if they can be brought? Um, or do they sort of already have the substance of a case and the documents will be a roadmap and, and necessary evidence, but not necessarily the way in which they learn the case? And I, I obviously don't know the answer to that, but I think that will have a lot to do with how quickly this 
moves or doesn't move. I, I don't think that the court part of it should take a long time. I mean, I, I guess what I was trying to say is a challenge to a subpoena like this for a, a, a judge is very routine. I mean, this just isn't like a big, complicated legal question that should take a lot of time. And, you know, to Ryan's point, there shouldn't be an appeal to the Supreme Court. Could they appeal to the Court of Appeals afterwards? I guess so, but it would be probably a summary order at that point, just saying, you know, no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also interesting this week that there was a, a settlement with Deutsche Bank regarding them dodging regulations and, you know, knowing that Jeffrey Epstein was a sex trafficker and providing him with funding and knowing all this. And and that's going to be part of this case. And it's interesting that it sort of happened along, alongside of it. I, I saw that you wanted to say something there, Ryan, but let me ask you a question as I see that we, we have a, a, a time issue here. And I'm also very concerned, Mimi, that we haven't heard any noise out of your kitchen from your daughter and her friends. <laughs> and, and as that's a, only because the friends left. <laughs> oh, I see. Because as a, as a parent, I, you know, with the silence is as unnerving yeah. as the noise. Sure. Um, but, but, it, but in any event, um, Ryan, if, first of all, respond in any way you want to what Mimi just said. But I, I would like to spend five minutes here at the end talking about something else that, that happened today, which was um, the former U.S. attorney, for the Southern District of New York, went to the Congress and talked about how the Attorney General tried to force him out of the office. And, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, an ongoing story. Well, you know, Supreme Court aside, how Bill Barr is, is conducting himself. And I'd be interested in both of your reactions to this. Um, uh, so let me start with Ryan. Um. Sure. Uh, the one tiny uh, addendum I thought to make to our prior conversation is just that the Supreme Court also identified particular constitutional challenges that the president can make to the subpoena, which is unlike ordinary subpoenas, and can say that a specific subpoena is an attempt to interfere with his constitutional duties or something like that. So that's the part that I worry, like, they're going to restart the whole clock of litigation and then maybe go up to the Supreme Court and something like that because it raises a constitutional question involving the president. Um, so, you know, we have Berman's opening statement, uh, the full text of it, and he's an obviously credible <laughs> witness in this. So I think people should walk in with a very heavy presumption um, that what he's saying is full and accurate and it's highly detailed as well. And if that the, his facts are true, then it definitely demonstrates that the, that the Attorney General of the United States lied to the American public about uh, Berman's uh, stepping down from the position of the head of the SDNY, the office that's investigating reportedly multiple uh, cases that implicate the President of the United States. And I, one thing I saw in the details of Berman's opening statement is there's no good explanation on the part of the attorney general as to why he was going about doing it unless it's for some corrupt purpose because his explanation to Berman and he's trying to berate Berman to try to step down or you'll be fired and I'm going to try to give you this 
Goody, or you could have the top of the SEC or the top of the Civil Rights Division to, or or uh, it's going to so, look uh, bad so, for you, or it's going to look bad for yes, you, right? He said, gonna, "This is true. not going to look good on your resume." Yeah, the Civil Division. Yeah, and absolutely true. Or or it'll look bad for you, like it's going to either ruin your career or you can make millions afterwards because it'll help your resume. So that's what he's trying to do to get Berman to step down that day before Monday. Doesn't want to let him go to Monday, and and. The other part of it is the explanation that Berman says to him, like, why don't you just let me stay in place until the nominee is approved by the Senate? And the answer that the attorney general gives him is because because we want um, that person in the position, which is gobbledygook. That's not an answer. That, that is not an answer. So it still means that it wasn't even a plausible explanation given from, from Barr as to why Berman would need to step down unless they were trying to get him out of the way. Um, he could stay in place as a very normal thing until the nominee is approved or not approved uh, by the Senate. So I think that something smells so rotten after you read that uh, statement, but it's totally unsurprising when it comes to the Attorney General. Two things, maybe, before you begin. One, I just want to note for everybody else that you spent, what, 16 and a half years working in that office? So you, you know the Southern District of New York extremely well. Um, and the, 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 the second thing is, per Ryan's last point, there, there is a, um, I, I guess it's a statute, but, but the, you know, there is a specific um, process for the, the, the uh, U.S. attorney stepping down or being replaced. Um, there's a standard way to do it. And it's not only that, that Barr was trying to force him out. He was saying, I want to force you out and I don't want to do it in the standard way. And I'm going to put in this acting as of right now, which is what, what, he, what he attempted to do. So it was, it, it, you know, his, it, it, his motives are certainly open to question. Um, but we've got to ask a question, particularly with the, the Maxwell arrest and all this other stuff. Um, you know, what's the hurry, buddy? You know, why, why right now? Yeah, no, I mean, that night when this all happened, you know, that was the thing about it that was most strange. Not that Barr or Trump would want to get rid of Berman because I think that felt like that was probably something they had wanted to do for a long time. Trump back in, it was when Whitaker was, was AG, I remember he made some comments. Oh, when Michael Cohen was arrested. Trump made some comment, it was reported anyway, that he said uh, something like, you know, someone needs to get that Southern District out of control when they did the, uh, under control, when, uh, when they did the search warrant um, against uh, uh, Michael Cohen's law firm. So, you know, this idea of the Southern District not being something they could control under Berman is something that's been out there for a while. So why the sudden urgency, you know, coming, did he come to New York just to meet with Berman? And now that we hear this backstory of the like hotel room and the sort of, you know, I can, it's to me sounded very mafia like, like, let me tell you why this is good for you. And you should take this deal. And, you know, here's the civil division. You should go do that. This will be great for your resume. And it's going to look really bad and tries to persuade him and convince him and do the whole, you know, carrot approach. And then when Berman says, no, you know, I'm in the middle of a lot of big cases here. I'm sticking with my office. Absolutely not. He says, all right, well, I'm doing it anyway, you know, and it, it's just, it's so mob-like and it is, it's just so suspicious that it, that it was 
so, so kind of um, seemingly sudden, even if it wasn't, and that it had to be, you know, Berman out, right? And all of his people out. And I'm putting in the, the Jersey eye. Um, and when, you know, Berman stuck to it enough that he was able to overcome that. And that's when it felt like, okay, he can leave because he has at least restored the sort of normal channels that you're speaking of. Um, do I think it was tied to the Epstein case in particular? I mean, I don't, I have no inside information. I, I would say unlikely only because in part because, you know, remember the Epstein case, the, the, the Maxwell case now, we should call it, I mean, in part, the grand jury hasn't been open and sitting until just the past couple of weeks. So that timing could very well have been coincidental. Um, or maybe not. I mean, I, I don't, you know, things that I never would have thought even remotely reasonable to say <laughs> a couple of years ago, I, I do now. Um, and so I, we don't know, we don't know what was driving this, but, but I do think that this perception they have of the Southern district being something they couldn't control. And if, you know, they could just change the person, maybe they could control it has been building for a while. Well, you know, I began this broadcast kind of feeling ambivalent about the decisions that came down today. Um, and Mimi, you in particular, made me feel better. Ryan, not so much. But Mimi, you in particular, <laughs> made, me, made me feel better, uh, both by putting it in the proper political context. But also, I'm leaving here with the sense that even if Donald Trump is getting to play the clock out, um, two things happened today. One, this notion of absolute immunity, which has been peddled by guys like Barr, got blown up nine to zero, including by Trump's two appointees. And Barr was called out by Berman for his lies. And so Donald Trump may get a pass today, but today was a bad day for Bill Barr. Um, uh, I think in a substantive way. And given how I feel about him, I think that's probably a good thing for, for justice in the United States. Uh, we could go on and on. There's lots of things to discuss here, um, but I'm afraid that we have run out of time. I am uh, extremely grateful that you joined us. For those of you who want to find out more about Mimi's campaign to be the district attorney in Westchester, you can go to Mimi Roca for DA.com, which has all the information that you could possibly need about the campaign and, and how to help it. Uh, and you should do that. And we wish you luck. And, you know, as soon as, you know, they finish tabulating the votes sometime before November, presumably, um, and we wish you advance congratulations on, on becoming the Democratic nominee and good luck in November. Um, and um, thanks as always, Ryan, for a good, a good discussion. And for those of you who want more um, from us, go to the DSRnetwork.com. We did a great discussion yesterday on uh, national security issues and the national security agenda with General James Clapper, who is the former uh, director of national intelligence for Barack Obama, uh, including a question um, that was posed by a great story that Ryan and Just Security had yesterday about another set of 
very strange decisions by the Trump administration regarding uh, the Russians in Afghanistan. I encourage you to go to Just Security uh, as always as well. So thank you for that. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, stay healthy, everybody.